I just did an AMA over on Creepy, and I sat there very awkwardly for an extended amount of time. But it went okay. That's an AMA. <laughs> That's an Ask Me Anything. That's when you... I did a live stream, and then people asked me questions about narrated narration and, and stuff. Did you get some good questions? Um, Yeah. I got asked what my favorite dinosaur was. And... It's a good one. Yeah. What is your favorite? Creepy yeah. paper. Uh, I think pterodactyl. A pterodactyl, yeah. That's the first thing that came to my mind. <laughs> Great. They are majestic <laughs> with those big old heads. They have I like wings, them too. so. Well, Chris had cool. this sick ass toy when we were kids where there was a little toggle at the top and it would make the wings go. Oh my God, yes. I had yeah. some sweet uh, uh, dinosaur. I know. Toys. I only remember your yeah. toys the most and not my own. Yeah, because I was sick. Same. I was just at breakfast the other day and was showing off the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle um, Universal Monster collection. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty, pretty sweet. What else? What else did you get asked? Like, was it mostly mostly about narrating, or was it like? Yeah. Um, they asked, you know, who I like to read the most, and I went into a huge like thing about Stephen King, and I was like, wait. You mean like narrate, right? <laughs> After I spent like three minutes talking about Stephen King. Uh, well, <laughs> like, some yeah. people say like, Stephen oh, King's overrated, sorry. but I sense. think yeah. <laughs> say what you will about Insomniac, but I think. Oh. <laughs> you know, some people say he can't do endings, but uh, I mean, you do better. You do better. And sometimes it's all in the build-up and description. <laughs> yeah, I knew. Uh, I had a friend. She was pretty well read too, but she hated Stephen King because he was too detailed. Like she hated all the detail. I've heard that a lot. Well, yeah. Some some people really like to formulate like the settings and characters and everyone like yeah. in their own own imagination. I don't mind uh, the detail as much. You know, I don't because I like, I like to, it. I like I like to try to imagine what the author intended most of the time. You know, yeah, it's like kind of a fun, like mental exercise a little bit. Have you also ever heard people get annoyed from hearing other people's dreams where they say like, that's the most annoying, boring thing? Oh, yeah. I've heard that. And I'm just like, I don't think that's boring. I never think that's boring. But I don't know. It just depends, right? It depends on like they're a boring person. Yeah, Yeah. Or if they're really bad at explaining is like. And then I was in the castle, and then and then the <laughs> castle was falling apart, and then and then and then, then I, I was ordering then, a pizza, and then, and it then just... I went to the water cooler, and there weren't any cups, you know. But there were snakes. <laughs> 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 there weren't any cups, and then there were cups. <laughs> <laughs> That's usually how it goes, though. When it like it's really crazy, and then you're coming out of your mouth and it just becomes more and more disjointed and clunky as it goes along and you're like yeah it's like a weird stream of consciousness but you're also like actively trying to you know like recollect what your dream was so it it starts to get very like uh and then uh because uh yeah (laughs) ah well welcome to under the pendulum i'm chris weber here, as always, is Heather Weber. Hello. And joining us from Los Angeles, as always, is Kaylin Weber. What's up? <laughs> <laughs> ah, so today's episode is part three of our series on the Radium Girls. I think we will be doing a four-parter for this one. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, the last big court case is going to be it's basically going to make up part four. Yeah, it's full of betrayal and assholes. Sounds like a uh, Spanish soap opera. Uh, this Porque. story can only be made in America, baby. Yeah, that's Fucking... very true. Yeah, and actually, and Heather, you uh, pretty much wrote this whole thing. So yeah. Ooh. So if it sucks, sorry guys. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't think it will though. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it doesn't. It's it's very good. But you know, gotta always give credit where credit's due, man. Thank you. I have to tell you something real quick, though, about my condition at this moment. I went to the beach yesterday and I put sunblock everywhere but my hands. (laughs) So now (laughs) you're lobster girl. It hurts. It feels like it just hurts so bad. It feels like there's hot soup all over my hands all day. 
yeah. and you work with your hands. <laughs> and, I, and I'm just like, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> well, it looks like you got to join the sideshow and be Lobster Girl, you know? Oh, good idea. Yeah. Flaming Hot Cheetos hands. <laughs> See the amazing Flaming Hot Cheetos woman. <laughs> oh, I touched my eyes. Oh, God. You got to see this. One more thing. Okay, one more bantery thing. There's um, Trolley has been doing really fabulous, wonderful commercials that are stop motion. Yeah. Oh, God, they're so good. But there's the best one is this tree that's like in this dank kind of cave thing. And he's like all his eyes are all lopsided and stuff. But he's got a bag of Trolley. And he sticks his tree hand in there and they eat his fingers away, the worms do. And it's all like, they, he looks into their magical land and they're like, <laughs> Welcome to our land. We're sorry about your hands. <laughs> <laughs> and then they like crawl up into his eyes and he's all like, Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> you gotta see it. Oh, man. <laughs> what, what Salvador Dali did for commercials, man, I just swear to God. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And the 90s. And the 90s, yeah. No, more like look what television did for commercials. (laughs) All right, well, let's hop back into the story. So in July of 1925, Grace, Marguerite, Catherine Schaub, and Quinta were given their dire diagnoses by Dr. Martlin, with Von Sahaki also present, which seemed more like a death sentence than a diagnosis. However, a memory surfaced to Grace's mind. She recalled the words Von Sahaki had spoken to her seven years prior when he saw her lip pointing. He said, quote, Do not do that. You'll get sick. She confronted him, asking why he hadn't told the girls that he knew the radium was harmful. He sheepishly replied that he had tried, and besides, he was overridden by the powers that be. Mm-hmm. I just I just couldn't do anything. <laughs> Fuck you. I'm just a helpless little puppy. <laughs> I'm a lost kitten. Oh no! Somebody's got to change my diaper. <laughs> um, you know, but unfortunately for him, he soon found that he had also tested to have high amounts of radium in his system. So he wasn't any better off than the girls were. No. So, as we mentioned in the last episode, the girls were bankrupt and in debt from all of their medical bills. They were determined to fight the company and get some sort of compensation for their troubles. However, they had been blocked by that five-month statute of limitations in New Jersey, and there was also a two-year statute in federal court. There was another big problem, too. None of the lawyers the women consulted would take their cases. The women were broke and could not pay for their services. Not to mention, USRC was a formidable giant of a company, and going up against a power like that was seemingly an impossible feat. And that's kind of one reason, like, a lot of people won't want to get involved, because it is such a huge, huge company. Like, they see it as a a, a completely lost cause. Or, or like, I don't even want to get my name involved. um, It still happens to this day with so many things. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, seemingly good people won't... Do anything. People, right. others suffer for a really long time without, you know, it's not my problem. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, and to make matters worse, the ill effects of radium had only been known to the public for a very short time, as the drinker report had just been published. Yep. So, Dr. Martland stayed in contact with the women during the summer of 1925. And one day, Catherine Schaub came to his lab and they wrote up the list of the doomed. This list had approximately 50 names on it, the names of Catherine's former co-workers who had either fallen ill or died, and some who had not yet gotten sick. This list would foreshadow future cases of dial painters' illnesses and deaths, and doctors would refer to it down the road when these very dial painters began to get sick or die one by one. So, like, they would kind of, like, tick a name off or put, like, a D for yeah, deceased next D. to it. So he, it was almost like checking names off of off of this list. Yes. It's a very uh it's a very poignant like physical representation of of what's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Mhm. It's oh, it's so sad. 
<sighs> oh, crap. This is my shopping list. Oh, what did I do with the other one? <laughs> I feel like there should only be the list of the doomed if it's like, you know, stealing something from like an Indiana Jones situation, like some kind <laughs> of crystal or amulet. Like, and then, you know, you're doomed like that. Like cursed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're cursed. Yeah. So time was running out for the five New Jersey women. Later that year in 1925, Catherine would be committed to a hospital. Her condition was worsening, and it weighed heavily on her, slowly breaking her mind. Marguerite Carlo's blood was almost white, and her blood count was at 20, 100 being normal. Her lower jaw had been eaten away to a stump. Albina Laris, Quinta's sister, learned she was pregnant. However, she began to get pains in her stomach. She gave birth to the baby, but he was stillborn. And two weeks after that, her legs and arms began to become very painful, and doctors found that one of her legs had shortened drastically. Yeah, what? it's crazy. Yeah. Man, I thought you were going to say she gave birth to like a maggot Jeff Goldblum fly situation <laughs> or something. Yeah. I don't know. Whoa. But the the leg thing's scarier than that somehow. Yeah, it's it's yeah. really nuts. Yeah, I guess it, I I don't know if it kind of like shriveled up the the joints or, oh. or yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Well, her health was so poor. Probably her body not being in a good enough condition to support, you know, a fetus, mm-hmm. and that makes sense too. Yeah, and I'm sure her organs are not functioning at full capacity. I mean. Nutrients are being like leached from her, basically. Yeah, that's exactly what I was about to say. Yeah. Yeah. So, meanwhile, Dr. Flynn, the new USRC physician, was asked to meet with as many of the dial painters as he could in order to give them advice and set out on conducting his own study. Hmm. God, not one of these again. <laughs> <laughs> he did not try too hard, however, to see the woman. In fact, He had written Catherine Schaub, requesting that she come visit him at his office. But she was in such a poor physical and mental state that she was not able to travel, and explained this in her reply to him. Dr. Flynn later says of this exchange, quote, I never replied to her letter. As I told my technician that if she wasn't willing to come to either my house or my home office, I certainly wasn't going to put myself out. A girl of that class didn't appreciate it when you did try to aid her. And when <laughs> Flynn did meet... What a fucker, right? <laughs> Dude, it's just like he's he's probably saying this as he's like stepping over a dead body, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pills and treatment before swine night, eh? And these damn homeless corpses are blocking the walkway. <laughs> and when Flynn did meet with the dial painters, mostly current employees, he told them that radium could not harm them. Of course, he knew otherwise. Dr. Martland, along with another Dr. Conlon and the dentist Dr. Neff, released a medical study article in 1925 based on their experiences with the women over the past year. This study proclaimed that radium had harmful effects to one's health and should not be ingested as remedies. This greatly upset the radium companies. They felt like they were under attack. Not only had Martlin and the women been a nuisance, they could deal with a handful of sick women, but now he was hurling daggers into the radium industry in its entirety, undermining a huge aspect of their business of radium and wellness. When I when I hear shit like this, I just I always think of that meme from um It's Always Sunny where they're in like the tuxedos and they're just like wah, wah, wah. It's like, <laughs> oh, oh, hurting your business, you're being attacked because of you're like in horrible like capitalism like oh wait, wait. yeah <laughs> it feels so bad for you yeah oh my business is hurting radium authorities were not having it and his statements were ridiculed and heavily attacked by the company and their experts in attempts to discredit them these attacks worked in usrc's favor the public's reception of martland's study was unfavorable and dr flynn was set to publish his own study in the not-too-distant future. What, I can't drink my radium water? Like, yeah, right, (laughs) my rights. Get the fuck out of here. This is a fucking free country. (laughs) If I want to use radium toothpaste, some doctor's (laughs) going to tell me I can't. (laughs) Radium butter tastes the best. Yeah, everybody knows it. (laughs) 
It makes your toast glow. I like my radium condoms. It makes my little wiener superstar. <laughs> I've made a little stage for it, you know. Who we are, just about to see. <laughs> However, USRC had not known that Flynn had previously written this to Drinker himself. Quote, Though I am not saying it out loud, I cannot but feel that the paint is to blame for the girl's conditions. Can I confide into you, best friend Drinker? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> what like, are oh. you doing? He's terrible at what he does. And it's so funny that they like in like he just admits it. It's like, dude, you're in the middle of a case. Yeah. You're it's just about to be. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Mm. He's an idiot. It's like stabbing somebody and be like, is that bad? Is that look bad? <laughs> oh, sorry. It didn't go in that much, right? Oh. <laughs> There's not that much blood. <laughs> Marguerite had filed a suit earlier that year but it didn't go far. Her suit was filed six years after her employment, and again the lawyer informed her that nothing could be done. Sadly, Marguerite contracted pneumonia after two years of being sick, and at 24, she died at home on Boxing Day, only six months after her sister. Despite Big Radium's efforts in 1926, radium necrosis finally made it onto the list of compensable diseases, thanks to Catherine Wiley's efforts. And just as a refresher, Catherine Wiley was working for the um, uh, the labor. Oh yeah, women's like like labor league or something. Yeah, I can't remember what the what the business oh, was called off the top of the, my head. She was the unruly, awesome lethal weapon uh, character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> God yeah. damn it, Wiley! All oh, on my ass, blah blah, mayor. No chief. <laughs> and another piece of good news came in 1926 too. Three lawsuits that had been filed that past year, Marguerite's, Sarah Myleffer's, and Hazel Couser's, had been settled out of court by USRC. Grace Fryer read this news in the paper. Unsurprisingly, the women and their families were awarded only meager payouts, and after the lawyer fees were paid, only a fraction of their colossal medical debt was taken care of. And yeah, and that's something that you'll kind of see, and, it, and it's a really hard decision to make. You know, it's, it's do I see this court case through? to the end when my time's really limited and it I might not even win or do I take this payout do I do you know do I do I take this sort of hushed payout uh you know, hard decision to make man i mean i i i wouldn't fault any of them though it it gives urc usrc a pass right cuz they can yeah they they don't get convicted of of or or of any guilt you know right and i think uh, marguerite's lawsuit was settled after she died which was kind of which to, was to like her family thing. yeah yeah we'll see that play out later but it's I, I i totally i get it it's a really hard choice to make especially like when yeah. you don't know how much time you have left no Ugh. awful decision to have to make it really is yeah so grace sees this news as a new opportunity within two days of reading this news story she set her own claim into motion she was willing to settle for a small sum herself. Ultimately, her case was dropped by her lawyer shortly after, as the claim was denied by USRC. The new law was not retroactive, and thanks again to the statutes of limitations, she unfortunately did not meet the criteria to be eligible for its benefits. Besides, Wiley's new law only covered necrosis of the jaw and did not address the other issues that arose from radium poisoning. But not to worry. Grace Fryer was not one to give up that easily. Oh, she's about to fry up a whooping. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Fry your ass. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, well, and it, with her case, how the lawyer just kind of pulls out, it's, I think a lot of that is, you know, USRC denies anything, and then he's like, oh, well, such a big company. I'm like, okay, well, if they said they didn't do it. Yeah, and, know, this, it's, it, and she don't have any money. Mm-hmm, Yeah. So, you know, despite everything that's going on, USRC was not doing so hot. And this could be a big reason why Grace Fryer's settlement offer was denied so swiftly. Growing fears of public outrage and a substantial loss of their workforce was dealing a major blow to the company. And by the end of 1926, USRC shut down the orange plant. This wasn't the end, however. They just opened up another one in New York. 
Oh, no shit. Wow. And they would do the same thing in Illinois, seeing what's kind of happening on the horizon legally. They kind of like try to open like a studio somewhere. But then nothing happens in Illinois, so they just shut that one down. Keep this gravy train going. Yeah, it exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this gravy, gravy train don't stop. I can't have dry potatoes. <laughs> Deploy the dead woman catcher in the front of the train. Oh, God. <laughs> so as Grace sought new legal representation and was turned down at least twice more, Old Dr. Flynn is putting the finishing touches on his expert publication, Defending Radium. He wrote that radium poisoning was not the cause of the dial pain or sickness, and that it was most likely a bacterial infection from their dirty vaginas. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. <laughs> oh, like from it's just like, it's a bacterial infection. Vagina. Yeah, you know how those women are, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Feelings in their dirty, dirty dinies. Yeah. So, this went into publication in December of 1926, and Dr. Flynn knew full well that his claims were blatant lies. But he was getting that fucking money, dude. Getting that money. At this point, he's really just a paid liar, but... Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, how Lawyers. Am I right? (laughs) But he's a doctor, right? Well... Yes. Yes. Yeah, he's like a lawyer doctor. Not, not <laughs> lawyer doctor. <laughs> yeah, he's he's not a lawyer. He's a, he's a doctor, but but he's he like but he spends a, a lot of his his time in court as USRC's expert. Yeah, straighten yes. up, boy. You're acting like a lawyer. <laughs> expert in industrial hygiene. Mm-hmm. That's right. So Flynn even examined Grace herself, and she later says of this examination that quote. He told me I was in better health than he was, and there was nothing wrong with me. Which was not true. She was <laughs> she was hurting, man. Like, why, clearly. Grace? You're not sick. You could beat the shit out of me. Like, <laughs> you're totally healthy. Go on, take a punch. Yeah, <laughs> that might be true, but Jesus. <laughs> and the parade of shitheads continued with Doctor Neff. Surprisingly, yeah, he was the dentist who had saw many of the orange women. He made an appointment with USRC's executives and tried to extort money out of them. He was concerned because he had not been fully compensated by the women, so in exchange for $10,000, he would testify against the women in court. And this is despite everything that he had been seeing over the past few years. All the jaw shit, pulling out bones, like, yeah. I wonder if this is like a Lady Macbeth situation where his wife's like, you better get that fucking money. We better get it. No. I don't care how you get it. I don't care see how these, many lives these, you have to crush. See these things? I like these things. I have a standard of living now, and I am not going to sacrifice it. I don't care if you ripped out some little girl's jawbone. Yes. <laughs> She'll be dead soon anyway. The That's world's right. full of little girls and jawbones. Like, come on. <laughs> so, USRC. Think of the ha- Hummel collection. <laughs> Nobody wants that. (laughs) So USRC refused his bribe attempt, uh, laughably telling him it was a immoral proposition. (laughs) Oh, dude. The story is really funny in the book, the Kate Moore book, because like he goes there just thinking he's like, oh, man, I got these guys just right around my fucking finger. Like he walks in just fucking dick swinging like mm-hmm. he just thinks he's really gonna pull it over on them and they just like basically laugh at him and yeah, just like laugh, much. laugh like, him out, out of, of the room yeah laugh at who? Laugh at who? Dr. Do- doctor Dr. Neff yeah it's <laughs> so funny <laughs> how pathetic also pick up the Kate Moore book if you're interested because there's a lot of great little side anecdote anecdotes like that one yes and and she describes it wonderfully it's, it's a very she does. It's does very she well. use swinging, swinging dick? No, that was my own interpretation. Oh, okay. But you know, I, I think it gets the it gets the feel across. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Say, I hope so. Dick swinging balls in a bag. You know, he's just like, yeah. <laughs> so in 1926 in Ottawa, Illinois, it was a much different scene than that of Orange, New Jersey. Love was in the air. And wedding bells were ripping all throughout Ottawa as the young dial painters, making good money and feeling on top of the world, were starting their own families. 
They had heard nothing of the Radium Girls' troubles in New Jersey, and their lives as vibrant young women went on as normal. The heads of Radium Dial were very much aware of what had been going on in Orange. After many discussions, the company introduced glass pens to replace the brushes. This was like one of their attempts to try to be like, well, we don't at that point. Like, we don't allow it. Yeah. So Radium Dial told the girls that they would be fired if they continued the lip dip method, never offering an explanation as to why. This threat was only halfway enforced. Some of the girls who immediately switched back to lip pointing, as it was more efficient, were fired. But in true Big Radium fashion, they would hire these ladies back immediately if they wanted to come back to work. And over time, this rule was less enforced, and the old brushes, once again, became the main method of dial painting. And since the girls were paid by quantity, not hourly, they continued to work in any way they could to make the most money. So it's like we, I think we had mentioned it on the first episode where it was like they would work during their lunch, you know, they would just, I mean, do hundreds of dials a day, you know, just like trying to work as quickly as they could so they could make the most money. May 1927, Orange, New Jersey. Grace was quickly deteriorating. Dr. Hoffman felt terribly for her, and he personally penned a letter to the president of USRC, Mr. Roeder, pleading for help with her condition. But they found that he was no longer with the company, and his successor, Clarence Lee, swiftly rejected the request. So, yeah, the company got rid of Mr. Roeder or Arthur Roeder, because I think it was just because all that was happening. They, I think the board thought that he was handling everything poorly. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why they ended up, it was almost like a sort of a corporate takeover. Yeah. But didn't he like resign, but still remained on the board in some fashion? It, yeah. He like, uh, so he wasn't the face anymore. You know, they, they right. kind of, they kind of agreed like, you know, you, you need to back off, but you know, he, yeah, he still had Reap his interests. The benefits. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't like um yeah, it wasn't like a complete overtake where they completely kicked him out. It was just they took him off as Down president and the face. Yep. A little yep. bit. <laughs> like he cares though, he's still making tons of money. Yeah, that's right. It was obvious that Grace was running out of time, and after this last failed attempt to get her help, Dr. Martland referred Grace to a new lawyer, Raymond Barry. One of our heroes in this story. Fuck yeah, this guy's awesome. Yeah, he sure is. Barry interviewed Martland and Von Sahaki about Grace's claims. And after meeting with her and Catherine Schaub, he had seen enough and agreed to take both the women's cases. Moore writes, Barry's theory was this. The girls could not have possibly brought a lawsuit until they knew that the company was to blame. As the firm had actively conducted a campaign to mislead the girls, it should not be allowed to rely upon the delay, which it had caused, as a defense. After all, due to the misdirection, the girls' certain knowledge only came with Martland's formal diagnosis in 1925. In Barry's view, therefore, the two-year clock did not start ticking until that moment. With Barry on her side, they filed Grace's case on May 18, 1927 with just under two months left in the statute of limitations. Grace's case picked up attention from the media, and their coverage of her story was splashed in bold, sympathetic headlines. That summer, the case of The Five Women Doomed to Die was set forth. Along with Grace and Catherine, Edna, Quinta, and Albina were inspired to join the fight, and Barry took all of their cases— the media was in a frenzy covering the plight of the five doomed women. Oh, yeah. They just ate that shit up. Oh, oh they did. Yeah. Oh, There's so tons good. of oh. articles. Mm, suffering. Oh, nom, 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 nom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> USRC was stunned. Incensed. They cried conspiracy. The case Barry brought to the table had them shitting themselves. They also suspected that Von Sahaki had stabbed them in the back. Flailing, USRC decided to take the stance that the women were to blame due to their own negligence. These stupid women. Yeah. They never told them to lip point. And radium powder certainly doesn't stick to people. And radium isn't dangerous. USRC denied any shred of accountability and turned it all around toward the dial painters. They had been careless. And it's crazy because they would sometimes flip and be like, well, radium is dangerous, but like, 
like we did tell them to the point like like they're just careless like that's on them it's it's like this weird like they just do this weird flip-flopping it's it's yes yeah and because usrc lacked any semblance of humanity or decency the firm that worked for the company hired private detectives to follow the girls around to kick up any dirt they even dusted off the old syphilis defense Remember that syphilis was erroneously cited on Molly Maggia's death certificate and posited that, well, maybe all these dial painters were promiscuous and were afflicted with syphilis themselves. A truly disgusting move. And on top of this, when Barry went to rally some of the women's allies, he found that a few of the key players did not want to get involved in the court case. Drinker refused without explanation, even though his findings through his research that appeared in his report was crucial to the case. Martland also refused, not wanting to get entangled in any legal proceedings. He didn't like lawyers. He had administered the only tests that detected the presence of radiation in the women's bodies. These are two very important people that need to be part of this case, and they're just like, nope, nope. Yeah, it's, it's, it really makes you, because they, they seem so cool, you know, early on in the story, and then when it gets to this, this court case, um, it really makes you question their, like honorability, their credibility, like in a, yeah. in a humanitarian kind of way, you know. It's it's like we said earlier though. Like it was, I don't know if it was like the propriety of the time or like fear that it would affect their careers. But yeah, yeah. I mean, That's people that I'm you thinking. people that you think are are good and who have done good. I don't know. It's uh yeah, it's, it's kind of weird to 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 kind of juggle that. Yeah, it's surprising. I yeah, remember- it is. Yeah. When I was listening to the book, I was like, what? Yeah, I was definitely really, was kind of like, dude, what the fuck? Like, you did yeah. all this work and you're just not going to. Yeah, you're going to you do know? nothing about it. Ugh. Yeah. I also wonder if there were some, like, threats by the company or something Could that maybe didn't get Could reported. Be. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Well, Barry was persistent and through his research and attempts to seek more allies in the women's fight, he heard about three cases of radium poisoning that came out of the Connecticut clock manufacturer, the Waterbury Clock Company. But when Barry reached out to the Connecticut's Workmen's Compensation Commission, that's a mouthful. Yeah, shit. <laughs> but when Barry reached out to Connecticut's Workmen's Compensation Commission for evidence, he was surprised to find that no such claims had been made. How could this be? Dr. fucking Flynn. He consulted with the dial painters at Waterbury, and he was trusted by the girls. He told them that they were in perfect health when cases started to arise, and if they presented any medical issue due to the radium, he convinced them to take settlements. Waterbury didn't make money from selling radium, so they could freely admit that the paint had harmed the women and award small settlements without hurting their business. Flynn took advantage of the girls being young and naive. He effectively hushed them becoming a barrier between those nasty legal proceedings and the USRC. Dude, this guy is such a fucking, he's just such a sneaky little bastard, man. Yeah. Raymond Barry had been suspicious of Flynn from the get-go. Flynn's testing, research, and dealings in numerous hush-hush settlements overtly pointed to an incredibly convenient tipping of the scales in favor of USRC, in direct opposition to the mountain of medical evidence that these women's cases were built upon. Flynn had been a company physician to countless style painters, conducting medical tests and examinations, but his findings were much different than the other doctors Barry had been talking to. Weird, it's like it's like it's bullshit. <laughs> right. He smelled a rat, and Barry decided to kick up a little dirt himself. After some digging into Dr. Flynn's life, he made a shocking discovery. When he inquired with the New Jersey Board of Medical Examiners about Dr. Flynn, he received a response that read, quote, Our records do not show the issuance of a license to practice medicine and surgery or any branch of medicine and surgery to Frederick B. Flynn. Dr. Flynn was not even a fucking medical doctor. His degree was in philosophy. I thought you were going to say he was a golden retriever. <laughs> <laughs> I've been discovered. Dude, that's that's so sad. Golden Retrievers are the best of boys. <laughs> they are the yeah, goodest. Of, they are the goodest of dogs. That's insane, though. It's, I'm surprised. It, I, I, how that got past anybody, I, I don't even know. 
I mean, maybe it's just the time, but... He becomes more and more of like a hunched over henchman with like everything we find out about him. <laughs> no, see, I was philosophizing about the, the diagnosis like and the cures. It was well, a thought exercise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, despite this scandalous discovery, Flynn maintained that he was still an expert in industrial hygiene and he remained calm. Barry reported this fraud to the authorities. <laughs> I clean machines. <laughs> like that's just as good, right? Dang. Yeah. Yeah, dude. That's like, ah, oh, man. That is fucking ballsy, though. Yeah, that's bullshit. Yeah, I, you know, I, and I think, you know, of course, this is just another like my own thought, but like, I wonder, I, like, I'm almost sure USRC paid to maybe to get like the fake licenses, you know, that I probably had up on his wall. Must have. You know, like, yeah, like kind of paid for that cover somehow. Yeah. Um, I was going to say that's very, a a very high profile place to put yourself if you're phony, you know. I know. Yeah. Like, Mm. and you're, and you're conducting all these tests and stuff and writing up reports. And that's why I say that's so ballsy because you're going to be in the public eye, like hardcore, you know. You're going to get caught. Eventually. But he did he did have a reputation though. I mean, he had been work he had worked for other companies for like quite a few years, so like Absolutely. maybe at that point he he didn't have a lot to worry about. Yeah, mm. it was the 20s, so who knows. Yeah, right. Like it just be like my name is Bob Trinker. Dr. And Bob like, to you. Bob to Dr. Bob. And people were just <laughs> like, "Okay, sure. You're who you say you are." Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> are you a doctor? Yeah. <laughs> oh, me too. Oh, yeah, really? <laughs> Just today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Weird. Just now. Whole town's full of doctors. <laughs> so I feel about this country right now. It's just like, wow, it just seems like overnight everyone's a fucking doctor. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Oh, uh, yeah, anyway. Sorry, I don't want to get too uh, political. Did I go blue? <laughs> Did I get all blue? <laughs> So the women's cases, meanwhile, were continuously covered in the media and gained more attention as the proceedings pressed on. The five women's cases were combined into a single trial, and they were assigned to the Court of Chancery. It still needed to be determined if Barry's interpretation of the law would stand up in court. If the court agreed with Barry, there would then be a second trial underway to determine if USRC was at fault for the dial painter's injuries and deaths. The first court appearance was set for January 12, 1928. There were a lot of preparations to make before the trial. Barry anticipated that they would need to present proof that the five were poisoned by radium. Examinations were ordered with the help of physicist and former assistant to Von Sahaki, Elizabeth Hughes. She would run the new radioactivity tests. And of course, USRC wanted their own examinations done on the girls by their own physicians, presumably to disprove the findings. And I'm sure they're just like, hey, janitor, you're a, you're a physician now. Yeah. You're up now. You're up, cat. Yeah. Now go. <laughs> you see Flynn? He was just in philosophy last year. And look yeah, at him yeah. now. He's a doctor. Uh, hell, boss. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll be the first physician in my family. Oh. <laughs> oh, he's just... <laughs> Poor guy. Poor fictional janitor. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have to say I love the janitor from Futurama. Oh, yes. Like, oh, um, fucking. Uh, what, Scruffy. Was Scruffy. Oh, my God. I love that he always says something like that, like from like a John Steinbeck novel or whatever, whenever he has given lines. Yeah. I like when he falls in love with Bucket and he's all like, now go before I beg you to stay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now go. <laughs> USRC also knew that proof would be almost impossible to come by. There was only one way to unequivocally prove that radium was the culprit. They would have to extract the radium from the actual bones of the women. And this, of course, necessitates that that test where they had to cremate the bones, you know, burn it down to ash, and then the ashes were boiled in hydrochloric acid. Um, And I think they used some machine after that to detect the the radioactivity. Mm-hmm. But of course, this method was out of the question for the living women. However, there was Molly Magia, the girl whose death certificate cited syphilis as the cause of death. She had been the first dial painter to succumb to the radium poisoning. In October 1927, 
her body was exhumed. Specialists from USRC also attended to witness the autopsy. When they brought the coffin up, it was deteriorating, and her body glowed with the luminescence of radium. Damn, that's fucking metal. Yeah. Her body went through many tests, although by looking at her glowing corpse, it was evident what had happened to her. Glowing corpse, yeah, that's a good band name. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah, dude. <laughs> the doctors ruled, quote, each and every portion of tissue and bone tested gave evidence of radioactivity. No evidence of disease in particular, no evidence of syphilis. It was a declaration of poor Molly's innocence. Yeah, that was that was good. You know, especially her family having to deal with that like kind of fallout or that knowledge, you know, or exactly. or believing it for so long. Yeah. 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 On November 14th, 1927, the deposition kicked off with the first of the testimonies from the girls. Drinker was summoned to court and he was forced to give his evidence under oath. USRC's bitch. in shit. <laughs> you little bitch. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> USRC's insurance attorney, Markley, was a bulldog, and Barry realized that this was going to be a tough go. Barry, however, submitted the original drinker report to the judge and stated, quote, It is the best evidence we have and will be used in the event Mr. Roeder has misled the original, which he Boom. totally fucking did. <laughs> yeah yeah because yeah I, I think i think you yeah usrc knew that they were going to try to pass the uh the original one that they gave to the department of labor where it was yeah. like oh the girls are fine and it was like five percent yeah practically normal yeah it's like practically normal yeah. <laughs> redacted 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 <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> something else happened between november and the court date set in january it was the news of the death of a young woman named Ella Eckerd, who had visited Barry earlier that year. She had come to him. <clears throat> she had come to him. She had come to him, showing the telltale signs of radium poisoning. She had taken a sudden turn for the worse and died in early December after a short and very swift decline. She had been admitted to the hospital for surgery on her swollen shoulder the day she died. The swelling had come from a cancerous tumor on her bone. Although this sort of ailment had not been seen yet in the dial painters, this was a sign of more like this to come. Man, and I don't know if the bone tumor was like similar to like, have you guys ever seen pictures of bone tumors or like cancer in bones? Yeah, it looked, man. It makes it look it like very painful. Yeah, Gnarly. it looks nuts. Yeah. Yeah, like a John Merrick skeleton's a really great example of. Oh yeah. yes, yes. Tumors look like. Yeah, yeah, if if any of you listeners have never seen a picture of it, go look it up. It's pretty nuts. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. It looks like a like a pot overboiling somehow. Yeah, it, yeah, like, it has this very weird um bubbly popcorn texture. It's like yeah, like sharp. It's like also sharp though too. It's yeah. like yeah. Yeah, it's can you imagine that under your skin, you know how painful that oh would be? Oh my god, it's just like <sighs> stabbing your fucking or, I I, your I think about John Merrick all the time with that like how much that must have been how oh, painful god. that must have been. Yeah. Yeah, just how much fucking like constant pain you're in. You don't know anything else, you know. Yeah. <laughs> the pain is exquisite. yeah hellraiser buddy (laughs) (laughs) so the women were in terrible condition when the trial started in january 1928 they were in such poor health that barry was concerned that they wouldn't be able to make it through the proceedings albina could not bend over even to put on her shoes. She could barely extend her leg far enough to walk. She had admitted to Barry that she had thought of ending her life after having lost three children due to her poor health over the years. Mm. Yeah. It's just like, what these fucking women, like, went through. You know, it's like the constant pain, your body's just falling apart on you, you know, and then you're trying to live your life, have a family, have kids. She loses three kids while all this is going on. I just, I just like, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's the horrible shit that they went through, but it's also like kind of the strength that these like women had. Absolutely. Edna, the first to testify, 
had to be carried to the stand by her husband to give her testimony. She couldn't even raise her hand to take the oath. So they tied a string to a to a stick and to her oh, wrist. Oh no, they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> they also had two more, and it looked like a spider. No! Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's a spider. <laughs> Poor Edna. I know. Yeah, she's great. <laughs> Reporters packed the gallery and eagerly listened to Edna's testimony. She detailed how she could no longer perform regular duties as a wife and mother, and how her constant pain plagued her every moment of her life. The USRC lawyers were tough, aggressively grilling Edna repeatedly to give them certain dates of incidences and to detail frequencies of falls. This tactic was continued with the other four women. Markley's methods were unfavorable in the eyes of the reporters and the judge, as all in that courtroom listened sympathetically to the women and many were brought to tears. Even Hoffman's and Drinker's cross-examinations were brutal. Markley did all he could to cast doubt onto the doctor's expertise in radiation. Judge Backus was getting very tired of the corporation's antics. He snapped back at Markley during the vicious cross-examinations with, quote, If I find you guilty, I think you will be sorry. Mm. So, like, these lawyers are really trying to, like, wear down the women and and the witnesses but um it really like kind of comes back and kicks them in the ass because it makes them in in the court of public opinion look like fucking real shitheads you know oh yeah yep yep they didn't give up though they they kept they kept doing it you know they didn't oh yeah yeah. Yeah, that's all they had (laughs) well despite the compelling testimonies from the women and sympathy from the judge the next trial date was set for april of 1928 In the months leading to the next date, all five women spent their time in the hospital undergoing treatment. Flynn kept trying to talk to the girls during this time. He maintained that even though he was a company man, he was really their friend. Hey there, you want some chocolate? Oh, I guess you can't really chew it, but uh, here, I'll I'll crunch (laughs) it up for you. Want me to to feed you like a baby bird? Jeez. He would. Yeah, dude, it's just like if, God, I just can't, like, how angry I would be if I was one of these women and this fucking yeah. asshole's just like, hey, I'm actually your buddy. Like, hey, you know, just like, poly- like calling you up at night and shit. It's just like, dude, go fuck yourself. Get away God. From me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the women did not trust him, and rightfully so. Well, three days before the next court date, USRC ordered Flynn to conduct tests on the women for the company. But when he administered the breath test to them, He purposely held the testing equipment far away so that the radioactivity could not be read by it, resulting in a negative result for radium poisoning. As the trial pressed on, USRC did everything they could to place the blame for their poisoning on the girls themselves. Several witnesses took the stand, including Dr. Humphreys. His long, incredibly detailed testimony explained the experience he had with each women's ordeal, the initial symptoms the arduous failed treatment cycles the women had gone through, and how he had fit the puzzle pieces together to determine the cause to be radium poisoning. In a heartbreaking moment during his testimony, he revealed that he believed that there was no cure. The women would certainly die. Judge Backus was shaken by this declaration and sympathetically said that he hoped they would find something to help them. Von Sahaki takes the stand and Barry asks him to confirm that he had previously admitted that stopping lip-pointing had been out of his control. Remember, this hinges off Grace's recount of him telling her not to do that or it would make her sick. But, but, uh, but I really tried. He replies... Sorry, this is what no, I imagine right. he sounds like. <laughs> he's, he's very, very trippy dog. <laughs> I said, I told her, I said no. I said no, <laughs> but they just kept doing it. Mm-hmm. And when he is asked if he remembers this, he says, absolutely not. In fact, he denied any recollection that he had given warning to any of the girls at all and that he had no memory of the conversation that day in July 1925, despite the fact that Grace, Quinta, Martlin, and Hoffman had all been in the room with him. He stated in court that the effects of radium were unknown to the company. Uh, 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 I was drunk that day. 
He's the one who invented the paint. I really don't understand why he denied it. Like it, it wasn't. I don't know. He wasn't with USRC anymore, right? No, no, he hadn't been with them for for years, a couple of years at least. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I, I you know, and I can't remember if Kate Moore had, uh, you know, elaborated on on that a little bit, but I, I I don't know. It just still was very puzzling why he didn't help you them. Know, Fess up to it, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It would it would have only bol- bolstered their case, really. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe he just Let's didn't see. want to look guilty. Maybe it was like some sort of pride, like you know, actually being put on the stand in front of like reporters and the nation, basically. Yeah, that could be. Hmm. Totally. Well, there were only a few more witnesses after this shocking betrayal, and Barry rested his case on April twenty seventh. It was now USRC's turn to lay out their side of the situation before a verdict would be reached. There was one problem, though. The court was set to adjourn in September of 1928, five months away. Five precious months of time that the girls were not sure they would have left. It was a devastating blow. The public felt for the girls and were outraged for them. The news had gone international. Letters of sympathy poured in, as well as letters of admonishment. The women received letters detailing suggestions for remedies, and there were quacks that promised them cures for large sums of money. Dude, yeah, like just the fucking... Oh, yeah, man. Ju- the just fucking... Yeah, dude, they just come out of the woodworks, man. Yep. <laughs> Some shit don't change. But despite that craziness, yeah. the girls had become famous with overwhelming support. This coverage was helping the women's case, and along with Barry's persistence, he was able to move the trial date back to May. Before the trial commenced, Judge Clark, a highly respected judge and Barry's former boss, called on Barry and suggested to him that he may want to settle the girls' case out of court. Barry was reluctant. He did not want to do this because he wanted justice for the women. But... There was a strong fear that the girls would not live long enough to benefit from the case outcome. USRC was more than happy to accommodate that arrangement. Oh, yes, please, please. (laughs) The initial offer was of $10,000 to each of the women. I think it was said equivalent to roughly $100,000. Yeah. But they decided to push harder, as this would leave them with virtually nothing after their medical and legal debts were paid. Mm Mm-hmm. They ended up agreeing to larger settlements. Quote, $15,000, $208,000 today, as a cash lump sum for each woman, a pension of $600, $8,316, a year for life, past and future medical expenses, and USRC to cover all court costs. So not a bad, I mean, not a horrible deal. I mean, it's like you you don't get that ultimate justice where they are proclaimed guilty by a court, but not a bad settlement. I mean, and especially it's that hard decision, right? Do, I don't know how much time I have left. Do I go for it? Do I see this through and maybe not make it? Yeah. Yeah. So also in the settlement, it was written, quote, the firm was not negligent in the claims of the plaintiffs, even if well-founded, are barred by the statute of limitations. We are of the opinion that USRC's legal position is unassailable, end quote. This meant that the company admitted no guilt. Mm-hmm. Also, USRC claimed to settle for humanitarian reasons, which, yeah. t- t- okay. <laughs> it's just so fucking, like, not only is no justice served, but it's like, no, we're, we're doing this out of the kindness of our heart, man. I mean, we're not guilty, <laughs> yeah. but, I mean, we are just so... Good. It feels so bad. Such well, a, like how many times oh. did they ask for help and they said no? You know. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Ugh. That's brought up <laughs> at least. It's funny. What's written on a piece of paper is important. You know. Yeah. Right? Is what's like inevitably important. Yeah. There was another important stipulation to the settlement as well. The company required a panel of three doctors be assembled, one of the girls choosing one appointed by USRC, and one mutually agreed upon, to regularly examine the girls. If at any time two of the doctors agreed that they were no longer suffering from radium poisoning, USRC would cease payments. Barry was terrified about this term, and he was also worried because he had heard rumors that 
Judge Clark was buddy-buddy with certain USRC executives. But the agreement stuck. And although the women were not completely satisfied with the terms, they were relieved to be done with the ordeal and praised Barry for his work in their fight. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, justice isn't served, but they got a pretty, pretty good deal. Yeah. You know, with as, as a far lot as... Of, uh, a lot of stipulations, though. Yeah, are... yeah. Like, there's quite a few caveats in there, but uh, I mean, yeah. like, all, all in all, you know. But it's, I don't know, it because it, it sounds good, right? You know, it's like, oh, you yeah. get a pension for the rest of your life. Your life might only be, you know, another year, maybe. Yeah, and you better hope that those doctors are good doctors. Yeah. So, like, it sounds good on paper. Yeah. But, yeah. So word got out in the press that 17 girls had died so far in Orange, New Jersey, due to radium poisoning. When the Ottawa girls, who still worked at the radium dial studio, heard of this news, they were freaking out. Oh, yeah, dude. Like, you know nothing, you know, at all. And then this, you know, uh, the Orange case goes, you know, international, that huge yeah. national news. And you're like, what the fuck? I've been working here for like a few years now. Yeah. Oh my God. By the way, your jaw might fall off. Yeah. yeah. Oh, by the way, here's what happened to 17 other women. Have you ever seen bone cancer before? Or here's bone a picture. Tumors? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this one's really nasty. <laughs> Many of the girls had started showing their own symptoms and they knew of one girl who had died. Radium Dial brought in some experts to test them. But after the tests, they were not given the results and were in fact refused the results when they asked. Instead, the radium dial put an ad in the newspaper declaring that all results of the tests showed absolutely no signs of radium poisoning, and they ran this ad a few times in the paper. In fact, they blamed the Jersey poisonings on mesothorium, which radium dial did not use in their paint. Relieved, the Ottawa girls went back to work without question. So back in Orange, it was time for the girls to be examined by the panel of physicians, a routine they would be subjected to monthly. Two of the three doctors on the panel, quote, denied the existence of radium poisoning. These two doctors were suspicious of fraud after the first examination turned up a positive result in the breath test. So the women were called in again to have an examination done in a hotel room with the company men watching. <laughs> it's just like, God, that's so fucking Jesus. shady. Yeah. They're like, oh, they might be fucking with the with the tests in the hospital. Better bring them to a location of our choosing. They walk in, the doctor's like in a robe and is like holding a glass of wine. He's like, oh, <laughs> sorry, I didn't know you were coming. Yeah, right. Oh, I didn't see you there. <laughs> oh, hey, didn't see you there. <laughs> Raymond Barry was furious at this. He believed this was a breach in the settlement agreement. And thankfully, one of the doctors present declared them all radioactive after the second test. Yeah, so it was all for nothing. Yeah, it was it was their attempt to, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, tr try to get it all thrown out, kind of thing. Yep. Like, like, oh, oh, they don't have it anymore. We don't have to make payments. Yeah. <laughs> From this fucking hotel room. In November 1928, Doctor Von Sahaki, the creator of the luminous paint died from radium poisoning. <gasps> Shocking. I can't believe it. And in 1929, Radium Dial, frightened by the settlements in New Jersey and involved in their own quiet court proceedings with Dial painter Ella Cruz, started to conduct regular exams on their girls in Ottawa, and they just began collecting that testing data. However, as Catherine Wolfe recalled, she noticed that girls who were in perfect health were examined more often than those who showed symptoms. And we'll hear much more on Wolf later. Yeah, she's a huge part of, of the last leg of this of the story. I remember you mentioned her from the beginning. Yeah. Radium Dial allowed girls who had tested positive for radium years before to continue to work. In fact, Peg Looney had tested positive in 1925 and again in 1928, all the while working, even as she deteriorated before their eyes. They allowed her to work till the end until one day she collapsed on the floor at the factory. Radium Dial had been warned that the government was interested in Peg's case, so she was sent to a hospital by the company, and she died there shortly after. Radium Dial tried to bury her under her family's noses in the middle of the night, 
but were stopped by her brother-in-law before they could take her body. So yeah, they they like tried to like shuffle her to like this hospital. They like try to keep it all like super hush. The brother-in-law like saw them taking her body out, and he's like, "Hey, yeah, what the fuck?" <laughs> he like fucking like just was like, "What the fuck are you doing?" Like yeah, yeah. So it's fucking cool. <laughs> Ooh, I mean, it's cool what the brother did. Not 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 that. That's not cool. Of course. Oh, of course. <laughs> oh yeah. the shade. Oh my god. Yeah. The family requested at her autopsy that their family physician should be present during the operation, during the autopsy. However, when he had arrived, it was found that the autopsy had been performed an hour earlier without him. They're just like, oh, whoops. Oh, you know what? I forgot to set my clock back. Damn it. You know, ah, darndest thing. Body snatching. Daylight savings time, you know. Well, we already did it. Scheduling. Can't do an autopsy twice, you know? Mm. Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> Her family did not get a copy of that autopsy, but Radium Dial did. Diphtheria was cited as the cause of her death. Of course it was. Picture it. 1929. Orange, New Jersey. <laughs> Little Golden Girls reference there. <laughs> Just as Raymond Barry feared, USRC attempted to renege on their settlement. They tried to offer them a lump sum instead of continuing to pay their medical bills as was agreed. The five women continued to get tested and treated, but never would be told their results. They didn't know if they were getting any better. They were forced to travel to New York to be treated, a rough journey for the fragile women. It seemed for a time, some of the women started to improve a little toward the end of 1929. However, Quinta died in December, after a few weeks of seeming improvement. Before her death, she ensured that an autopsy would be done so that the findings might help others. Raymond Barry continued to fight for other women against the radium company. He won a settlement for May Canfield. However, USRC put Raymond Barry into this settlement clause. The stipulation was that he was to have no future involvement in any other USRC cases. Otherwise, they would not pay the settlement to his client. He had to agree. So the fight lost Raymond Barry in 1929. Ugh. Yeah. Dirty. I, yeah. I mean, like, he, he really didn't have a choice. You know, it's like... No. Again, again it's, that, it's that really hard choice. Do you take the settlement or do you drag it out in courts, which the other side can... I mean, they can appeal, bring it into another appeal. I mean, it, it could just drag on for years. So, I mean, he, yeah. he really had to make a really hard decision He's there. He's got more of a fight, you know? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, money. Mm-hmm. And on September 29, 1929, the stock market crashed and the Great Depression began. This event not only devastated the world as a whole, but would throw more hardships into the dial painters' lives and affect the proceedings to come. And that's where we're going to leave off. Ooh. Oh, can yep. you imagine with the Great Depression? I mean, their families are already struggling to make money, right? To, to oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You yeah. think shit's really bad now. Like, yeah. <laughs> just, yeah, wait, wait till this shit. Just was not, not good timing, stock market. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah, the next episode's going to be, I mean, really the big court case um, mm-hmm. with, the, with the women in Ottawa. Yeah. I don't, yep. yeah, I don't want to, I'm excited to talk about it, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going yeah. to spoil anything. And we'll talk a little bit about, you know, the residual <laughs> effects of, of all this fuckery, too. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, effects that are like some some places are still suffering. You know, yep. some communities are still suffering. Yep. So that's fucking fun. <laughs> yeah, boy. <laughs> yeah, and I hope you're not tired of uh, you know corporations being shady because uh, there's a lot more <laughs> of it coming up. Yeah, yeah. Hey, we uh, we Mary Shelley'd this one again, but yeah, uh, just uh, horrible, man. We'll just. Leave her at that. So I guess we should do socials then. Yes. <laughs> no. Oh, you can follow us on Facebook at Under the Pendulum Podcast, on Instagram at Under Pendulum Podcast, on Twitter at Pendulum underscore Pod, now on TikTok at Under the Pendulum. Uh huh. And you can uh-huh. find all our episodes on. Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, the iHeartRadio app, or almost anywhere else you listen to your pods. 
You can find me, Heather, on Facebook, Heather Thomas, Instagram, h.n.thomas, Twitter at Heather W. Thomas, and you can hear my narrations on Creepy Tales to Terrify, Pseudopod, and Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Yeah, you guys are getting good at that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you can find me, Caitlin Weber, on Instagram for Frothy Star Dog. <laughs> for Frothy Ow. Star Dog. Oh, Frothy Star Dog. <laughs> 2029. <laughs> And uh, you can find me on Instagram by searching for Christopher Weber 13 V and on Facebook by searching for Christopher Weber. Well, thank you for listening, everyone. Uh, We'll be back with part four, the final part of the Radium Girl series. Uh, Thank you for sticking with us so far. Yes. It's going to be not much better after that. It's going to (laughs) be meh. No, it's not going to be much better the next one, but, you know, justice is kind of served. Kind bit. of. A little, little appetizy. A little little justice appetizy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, thank you for listening, everyone. Uh, we will see you next time. Goodbye. Love you. Take care of yourself. Bye. Goodbye. Goodbye.